When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Impact Theory. Impact Theory. Impact Theory. Impact Theory. Impact, baby! Hey, everybody. Welcome to Impact Theory. We have had the honor of having some of the most amazing guests on Impact Theory. Not only did they blow up the internet, but they also revealed some of the most powerful advice on one of my favorite topics of all time, how to develop an empowering mindset. The advice from these past guests is so impactful that I wanted you to have it all in one place so you could make the most of developing your own empowering mindset. This episode will give you tangible advice on how to start changing your mindset right now. For anyone who missed these guys the first time around, here is a brief summary of the amazing people you're about to encounter in today's episode. Lily Singh, YouTube superstar named by Forbes magazine the number one influencer in the entertainment category and also taking on her newest role as host of The Late Show, A Little Late with Lily Singh on NBC. Marie Forleo, an eight-figure entrepreneur recognized by Inc. magazine for building one of the fastest growing companies in America in addition to being a best-selling author. Trent Shelton, a former NFL wide receiver, one of the biggest social influencers on the planet and considered by many to be one of the most impactful speakers of his entire generation. Jay Shetty, a former monk whose wisdom has truly gone viral, helping to land him on Forbes 30 under 30 list in 2017. Wim Hof, a real-life superhero who holds 26 official Guinness World Records for feats that were long believed to be fatal or just outright impossible. John Asaraf, a wildly successful serial entrepreneur who has built five multi-million dollar companies. He's a multiple-time New York Times best-selling author and a much sought-after coach and speaker. So get ready to completely change your mindset, starting with our first guest, the one, and I assure you only, Lily Singh. Okay, so I begin to recognize the things that, that are making me tired, fatigue, and these are signs that I'm not on the right path. But I know the next question is gonna be, so how do I find the right path? Mm-hmm. What, what is that process? Yeah, you know, for me, I went through this phase where I just stopped saying no to things. So when I first started YouTube, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm opening the gates up to this new platform and this new type of creation I've never done before. But I've also started going to shows more often. I started to meet different types of people. I think a big part of finding out what's right for you is stop confining yourself to a path that you've been convinced is the path. This, what I'm doing right now, is nowhere on the path for a young Indian girl that's a part of my family. Like, this is nowhere on the path. It was very much so go to school and get married and have kids, and that's a success. If, you, if you're able to have those kids and give my mom some grandkids, you're successful. And I think it's about really stepping outside of that and exploring, whether that's in school and taking classes that you might not take at first glance, whether it's going and experiencing different types of arts, meeting different types of people, making new friends. I think there's so much out there that you don't even know exists. And I'm a testament to that. I make videos on the internet. Ask my mom if she thought that could have been a job when she was growing up. You know, so I think it's all about just really getting out there and seeing what's available. And so then what are the signs that somebody should look for to know that, okay, this is something that resonates? I think 
I, okay, I love sleep. I just need to emphasize, I love sleep. But there's some mornings when I wake up and I'm like, I don't even care how tired I am. I'm so excited about this day. So I think being excited to wake up. Also, you'll just see it in your energy, I think, as well. The little pep in your step I have when I'm walking to set is really telling. Also, the people you surround yourself with. I think when you start to get surrounded by people, um, and my team is a great example of this, that really bring out the best in you and you feel yourself growing and learning and maybe you're a little more patient or a little more creative or you think about things a little differently. Any type of evolution like that, I think is definitely signs you're doing the right thing. Mm. You know, this, this entire career path has been everything but comfortable. No part of it's comfortable. So even on the days when I come home and I think, that was horrible, that audition was horrible. I can literally feel part of me evolving as like, okay, but you did it and now you know for the next one what to do. You'll know what to expect for the next one. And those scary things are all signs that you're doing the right thing because you're growing. That's really interesting. And the concept of getting outside of your comfort zone, I know that's really big for you. How do you push yourself to do that? And how do you make sure that you're getting something out of it? Because I'll give you like a real fear that I have for people because it's exactly what happened to me. Mm -hmm. So I forced myself out of my comfort zone. Same thing, I know that famous quote, like your, your dream world's just on the other side of your yep, comfort yep, and all that. So I put myself into business, I was learning it, I was always behind, I always was embarrassing myself and looking stupid, mm -hmm. and so as I was gaining skills, I was also gaining a massive amount of anxiety. Mm -hmm. And so how do people make the most of those moments of discomfort? Well, you know, it's, it's, I'm happy that you touched on anxiety because it's a real thing, and a lot of being an entrepreneur is stressful, and it is it does take a toll on your body, your mind, and your health. And so something I believe to be equally as productive as work is meditation and taking some time to recover. I have something called Rejuvenation Sunday. I mean, it's in my calendar. It prompts up sometimes on that Sunday. I'm like, need to even work, but it's in my calendar and it goes off every Sunday. Um, I think taking those times to actually consolidate those lessons and resetting yourself is very, very important because at the end of the day, we are beings that get tired and we wear down and I think that's important but um, making the most out of stepping out of your comfort zone I have this thing where I like to visualize things I know because it's easy to talk about all of these things and then talk about tumblr quotes and like oh cool success but when you're actually down to it it's hard it's hard walking into an audition for an example and then doing really badly and going home and thinking well oh well I stepped out of my comfort zone so I should be happy that's not a practical thing that's going to happen you're going to go home you're going to be sad you're going to eat the ice cream I've done it I've done it all the time but I think visualizing like, okay, this is me, this is my goal. And I literally do this with my hands every time I have a failure. This is me, this is the goal. There is nothing in between there. I need to create what is in between there. Whether I do really well or really bad, that's gonna be a step. And I think visualizing every failure is a little stone towards where you need to go is really helpful. You talk really powerfully about ownership and taking on um, yes. mistakes. So yes. in, in those moments where you've just fallen on your face and yes. you're feeling uber shitty and you want to go eat the bowl of ice cream or maybe you're knee deep in the hagen yes. um, how do you begin to like get yourself out of that, to tell yourself something that's, that's ownership-based, that's like, this was me, I created this situation, mm -hmm. and so... Yeah, the reason I'm so big on ownership is because I'm obsessed with efficiency. And I just feel like it's so much more efficient to take ownership for things than to not. Because if you don't take ownership for something, who's gonna fix it? Then it's just hanging there in the air of this unsolved problem that no one's addressing. When you take ownership for a mistake or a decision or something you did, not even a mistake, maybe a bad audition you did, you are then able to at least work on it and improve for the next time. If you don't take ownership, like, oh, it was the casting director, oh, it was because I was sick, it was because of whatever, You've literally said, okay, I need to change nothing now. It's not in my control. 
Taking ownership means you've taken control to actually make a different impact the next time you do that thing. So it's just the smart, factual, scientific, efficient thing to do. So speaking of being able to back out of a shit show, yes. you've talked about having shit-tastic days, which yes. is a great word. Yes, um, we all have them. But you also talk about our ability to control our state and that we can actually shift the way that we feel inside without having to have any new external stimulus, just literally decide I'm going to change the way that I feel. How do you do that? Because I think if people can understand not only the effectiveness of that, but actually the steps to take, it could be a game changer. Yeah, I think it's really simple. For me, I try and play this practice of, you know, if I ever feel like in any moment life is not going the way that I think it should be going, it's because I'm resisting what is. You know, if someone didn't turn in their work on time and I'm just like, you know, getting that way or something didn't come out right or the delivery doesn't come or the technology breaks again, we can list anything in that slot, right? It's me arguing with reality. I'm making myself miserable in that moment because I'm choosing to argue with what is. That's always a losing proposition. So the more awareness I can bring to that and go like, is this really how you want to live your life in this moment, Marie? Because every single moment, as you know, sets you up for the next moment. And you string these moments together and guess what? You have your life until we get to that incredible deathbed. We never know when that's coming. So every single moment is an opportunity for us to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves. And so I just try and play the game. If I'm miserable, if I'm upset, if I'm angry, if I'm cranky, it is my responsibility because it's based on what I'm thinking or believing in that moment. It's not the outside world causing me to feel this. It's what I'm doing up here that's making me have that reaction. And if I'm the problem, I am also the solution. So how do you, in your own life, begin to unwind that? So you, yes. I, I'm assuming you literally walk yourself through I that. Do. So you realize, okay, I'm the problem. I know this. Yes. Um, is it visualization? Is it framing? Is it saying, I'm going to take a new perspective on this? Yeah. Thing me up? It, it literally is like, lighten up, girl. <laughs> You're fine. Like, do you have a roof over your head right now? Yes. Then things are damn good. Is there some food in the fridge? You're probably luckier than millions of people on the planet right now. Is there running water? in the kitchen and in the bathroom, yes, again, you're better off than probably a billion people or more. So that little reframe helps me. And then in the moment, again, it sounds so simple, but I think we're all searching for these really complex things and we don't need them. If you can catch yourself arguing with reality in the moment and realize that's not a wise thing to do, you can then back yourself up and go, okay, that didn't turn out right, so what am I gonna do about it? Am I gonna be miserable in this moment and let this ruin my night? Or am I gonna send off the email to say, hey, when's that work gonna come? And let's readjust our communication plan so this doesn't happen again. But the argument and the irritation is not necessary to get a new result. Yeah, energy is something that's I find really interesting and I'm picking up on something that you said in that. Um, oftentimes I find people can't talk about it in a way that uh, does anything but give me the hives. But you actually can. So uh, just because it gets so detached, I yes. think, from my real experience. Yes. But you, one way that you make it really concrete, which I think is super interesting and, and gave me this real sense of how to externalize what I'm doing internally yes. to, to actually change the neurochemistry that I'm experiencing yes. in order to be able to convey something new, which is you've said, hey, you're about to write somebody an email. 
and then you give people advice on like what to visualize and all that. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? I don't. So this sounds really good. I'm like, wow, did I come is, up with this? This is it's, great. It's you. So now I get to teach you. Yeah, please teach um, me my own stuff. So this sounds awesome. It it uh, you said that hey, you're about to email somebody, and depending on what it is, you may be in an aggressive state. Oh yes, yes, please. yes. Um, so. The fact that your energy gets embedded into your communications, we all know that, right? Like you've received the email that's curt and you can just almost feel the punch in the face that comes through. You've gotten the text where you're like, they are definitely pissed at me. Um, I believe, and I do this a lot with email marketing, especially in our business, every time I sit down to write a new email, I want the other person who receives this email to the best of my ability to feel the love and the energy and the respect and the excitement that I have, not only for the idea that I'm about to share, but for the impact it could have on their life. I want them to feel all of me. You know, if I'm sitting there writing an email and I'm like just feeling flaccid, I mean, what's that copy going to be like? It's not going to be any good. But if I'm there and I'm like playful and I'm excited about it, so that excitement is conveyed. And when someone's looking through their inbox and they see something from me, nine times out of 10, because I'm consistent, they know if they click open, it's going to be a good time, right? There's going to be love in that email. There's going to be an energy to that email that's different. And I mean, you've probably experienced this in your own life in simple ways. When someone makes a request of you, they care to even put an emoji because it's not just them trying. It's like that was a genuine expression of their excitement. Um, I'm sure if your wife asks you for something and her energy is such that there's love embedded in it, you're a hundred times more likely to want to say yes, right? One hundred percent. Yes. So we all feel this stuff, and I think that if you can consciously begin to practice it, then you're going to notice the impact and the results. Your obsession with authenticity, with being really who you are at all times, yeah. I think is, is really cool to see you um, get the kind of community that you've gotten around that, being vulnerable and opening yourself up. Um, but what I find really interesting is you're also the flip side of the coin. So as you were talking, I was like, he's absolutely right, but the reason that I'm willing to listen to you about it is because you're also driven, you're trying to improve yourself, you are trying to be great, you are trying to be strong and yeah. tough. You're just not afraid I'm not to, afraid. yeah. Like, how do you do both? I just, I'm, I'm real with myself, and I'm honest. Like, we're humans. You're gonna, I mean, everybody isn't on all the time. You know, we all have our struggles, our silent battles, as I like to call them. And instead of ignoring those silent battles, I let them out. But yes, I am a person that will tell you, make the world respect your greatness. I'm very firm on that. I'm a person that believes in myself. I'm a person that wants you because I believe that's contagious. Like. Even with social media, I feel like that's what really grew my platform is people looked at my life, not because of my knowledge or whatever. It's like Trent really believes this. Like he really does. He really lives it. He really he doesn't just talk it or type it. He lives it. And that's a big thing for me. You know, I can tell people a secret, right? Be transparent, like in a real way, because that creates connection. Now it's like I can relate to that person. You know, growing up in the church, I'm going to be real with you, Tom. Like I would watch pastors and preachers and I would be like, I could never be them. Because it was always perfection. I was like, I can never be them. So I just chose a different lifestyle. But now when I see people like say, you know what? I struggle with this. I struggle with addiction. Doesn't mean you're not awesome because you have addictions. Everybody has addictions. Everybody has ba battles. Some people just hide theirs better. So I relate more to that because now it becomes attainable. Now you become relatable to me and I can be like, wow, like I can still go through this. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm a human. I'm going to have my insecurities, my flaws and I can actually grow from it. So 
I think we need more examples of the world of that. And that's what I just try to give people as much as I can. You have a yeah. great way of like packaging things up in these really memorable um, phrases. One that you said earlier that I want to get back to is you said a lot of people never unwrap their gift. Yeah. And that really hit me. Yeah. What is that? look like like how does one unwrap their gift yeah it's it's a process it's the process of i think facing fear i mean and I, we can talk about fear for it like because facing fear is is super important and we can talk about like my process with that i think in order to unwrap your gift so i'm not gonna go into my skydive story that'll take forever <laughs> but i realized like what fear is right and for me fear is creating a known result right from a situation you haven't experienced yet and so when I used to go back to football, when I would be scared to go out there and perform, I'd be like, you know what? I'm going to drop the ball. I'm going to miss a pass and the whole crowd of 80,000 people is going to be like, ah. Oh. So I'm like, I'm scared now. Stage. When I'm on stage before I was speaking, what do you think I was thinking? I'm going to freeze up again. Nobody's going to care. All of these things, I realized that I was creating a result before I ever experienced it. And so I said, hmm, if that's the case, I need to create something better on the other side of that door, something more empowering that's gonna force me to actually go through the door. So now when I speak, I say, you know what? I'm gonna impact at least one life. So go out there and do it. You know, when it comes to my skydiving, of course that thing was, the parachute's not gonna open, you're gonna die. Of course you're not gonna jump out of the plane. But I immediately changed that to this is gonna be the most incredible thing and also leverage where now I can use this in every area of my life because I conquered my biggest fear. So people out there that are, going through fear for moments, it's kind of like this. You will never step into the ring if you're already telling yourself that you're gonna lose before the fight. You'll never do that. Like, why would you, right? So tell yourself you're gonna win. Even if you get knocked down, guess what? You're never knocked out in life until you actually tap out into your last day. So figure out that leverage point with your fear, what's gonna help you walk through the door, and then you have to just give it to the world. I never knew speaking was my gift until I actually went out there and failed, I actually went out there and embarrassed myself. And I realized like, wow, this is what I was created to do. And I knew that because I like to put it like this, and I hope they get it that's watching this, but I've never had so much like peace in the midst of like fear. Mm. Never had so much confidence in the midst of like my weakness in that moment. And so when it comes to gifts, think about it like this, like when someone gives you a physical gift, like Christmas and your birthday, what do you do? You unwrap it, you show it to the world, you put it on Instagram, you got that same gift inside you that the world needs. And you're doing the world a disservice by leaving your gift wrapped up. Somebody needs your story. My mom told me this and I'll never forget it. She said, Trent, you're assigned to reach people. I don't know how many, but you're assigned to reach people that nobody else can reach but you. She said, everybody has that. And the more you leave your gift wrapped, those people that need your message, that need your encouragement, whatever it is, that need your talent, they're never gonna get it. And you're not gonna leave this world a better place. Codify this for me or, or for anybody that wants, to, they don't know what their ideal life looks like, they just know that they're not living it yet. Mm -hmm. So uh, step number one is take it seriously. To find out if the hypothesis is true or not, you have to take the, um, the, the experiment, you have to do it sincerely. Mm -hmm. um, what comes after that? I think even one step before that is, is opening yourself up to new role models and new experiences. See, we live in echo chambers. We're just surrounded by the same thinking. How often do you bump into a monk? You know, it just doesn't happen. You don't have, no one has a dinner party and goes, oh yeah, we just invited the monk, you know, from town, <laughs> like the local monk. Like no one ever does that. And so we meet people who are just like us most of the time. 
And we talk about this in business all the time. If you want to be a billionaire, spend time with billionaires. If you want to be a millionaire, spend time with millionaires. If you want to be a tech startup, spend time with, you know, that's, that's the common rhetoric that we hear all the time. But what if you want to find purpose and master the mind? There's no one better than a monk who's mastered the mind. So, so for me, the first step is just opening yourself up to new experiences and new role models. Because most of us can't see ourselves in people, so then we try and fit ourselves into the boxes that we do see. And, and I mean, there's this beautiful quote that I, I've been saying it everywhere, and I wish I wrote it, but I didn't. So it's by a philosopher and writer named Cooley. And he said that today, I'm not what I think I am. I'm not what you think I am. I am what I think you think I am. Right? And just let that blow your mind for a moment. It's, uh, it's so powerful. I'm not what I think I am. I'm not what you think I am. I am what I think you think I am. So we live in this perception of a perception of ourselves. Hence, my identity is made by what my parents think I should be. My identity is made up by what my college or university thinks I should achieve. While you're living in that bubble and that echo chamber, getting to what you really want to do is impossible because maybe that just doesn't fit. And I think so many people feel that way today, that they don't fit into the current education system. They don't fit with the three or four or five careers that you're taught exist. So that process of self-excavation and actualization first requires being exposed. You can't be what you can't see. If I never saw a monk, I would never have wanted to be a monk. If I never meet a billionaire, I wouldn't want to be one because I wouldn't know what that feels like. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what it takes. And, and I think that's the biggest challenge of our society, that we're not exposed. So that's the first step, being exposed to unique experiences and role models. Second step is finding that experience or role model that you're passionate about. And exactly like you said, taking it seriously, shadow them, network with them, spend time with them, observe them, even from afar. It takes that observation, being addicted to observing that person's lifestyle. And then the third step is going yes or no. Does that work for me? Not everyone who's going to go off and become a monk is going to feel like the way I did. And that's cool. But not everyone is going to go and follow and shadow a billionaire and go, that's exactly the lifestyle I want. They may want the result, but do they want the hard work that goes with it? And so for me, that's the third step. It's observing, focusing, shadowing, getting as close to the process of that individual and then going yes or no. Do I want that process? Not do I want the result? Everyone wants to be that monk who's fully enlightened, you know, can walk through, has an incredible aura that people just gravitate towards. But when you realize he has to wake up at 2 a.m. every day and sleeps about four to six hours, you're like, ah, you know, I don't want to do that. <laughs> that, that doesn't sound like me. Yeah. All right. So yeah, a couple it. things. One, <laughs> you said he's as powerful as he is. Yeah. Define power for me. Power being, so from a monk's perspective, the greatest power is to be self-controlled to be able to train the mind and energy to focus it exactly where you want it and when you want it to be. You are completely detached and undeterred from external ups and downs. You're able to navigate anything that seems tough, challenging, fun, excitement with the same amount of being equipoised and balanced and equanimity without being too excited in pleasure or being too depressed in pain but knowing how to navigate every situation, to me, that's great strength and great power. 
Um, I heard in one of your talks you were saying that if you look at um, a, a literal lifeline, a heartbeat, yeah. for instance, you know, it's it's up and it's down, and people have this sense that something like enlightenment would be that um, the equanimity forever no. and just an even keel. And you said, but what what does that resemble? It resembles a flat line when you die. Correct. So. What is it like, what I love about you is you sort of went into the wilderness of being a monk, but you brought it back to the real world. Because when you talk about a monk, you talk about them being detached. And that, to me, seems like the only real way to have that sort of mm -hmm. super even keel existence, which is not appealing to me personally. Mm -hmm. So if you're bringing back that notion of power of having control over yourself, not letting your emotions take you everywhere, but knowing that life is, is the series of ups and downs. What does that power look like when it's brought back? Absolutely, and actually that's the whole aim of monk training. It's, it's more like a training system than it is a lifelong commitment. It is bringing that mindset into the real world where you get to test it. Now, I got to do that for real when I left being a monk around five years ago. And when I left, it was like, oh my God, I'm in the real world now again, real world. I have to think about how to apply all this. I'm gonna test for real all this stuff that I've learned and I was scared. Like I was nervous, I was anxious and all those things that I've been trained not to be rushed back because for the first time in my life, I had to really put it into practice. And I love that feeling. I'm so glad that I had to do that. So for me, actually the mindset is completely trainable to bring into the real world. That's, that's what I'm trying to do. And, and what it allows you to do is it allows you to gain clarity and perspective when you need it. Because you know when you can just take a bird's eye view from something. You know when you need to get close into something. You know when you need to pull back from something. There's a beautiful verse in the Bhagavad Gita that says that detachment is not that you own nothing. Detachment is that nothing owns you. So you've got happiness, strength. And health. And health. So what is happiness? Happiness is uh, all the euphoric hormones related to the endocannabinoid system. We have uh, absolute access therein at will. We only need to invest and in, uh, exercise into that. Like a child has to learn to walk. So what do you want? You want to be dependent on pills and this and that and drugs, etc., Or do you want to get high on your own supply? It's there. Why do you play guitar? Uh, uh, music is the voice of the heart, of course, of your feeling. And it's resonance, and resonance get in, in, into the brain waves. And we have tested this with the NASA equipment, uh, doing the breathing, makes you able to go into these deep alpha, uh, delta, gamma waves, in uh, fully controlled. But music you can shift your, your brain wave just at will. Yes. Anybody can do that. How far could you could you go to like if I said uh, we're all gonna make noise, but I want you to get into a gamma wave state, which is like fucking deep meditation. Could you do that in like five minutes or less? Oh yeah, less. Okay. If I go, a couple of minutes, I'm getting there. Wow. I'm resonating with that voice, with that uh, resonance and that affects uh, the certain parts of the brain, deeper parts of the brain, who are connected with the voice and, uh, and, 
and of resonance, and which is a deeper part of the brain, begins to acti be activated. Thus, the blood flow begins to descend into the depth of the brain. And then it becomes enlightened and activated and uh, gets the nutrients and the biochemistry. That's meditation all about. Now, mindfulness is very much researched. And it shows that uh, through mindfulness, you are able to activate deeper parts of the brain. They become more alive because simply the blood flow goes to these deeper parts. But what we have seen now in the brain scans, not even seasoned practitioners in mindfulness are able to activate those parts you have been activating. Mm. And I say it's innately capacitated to anybody, but it needs the conscious technique and the passing on of that. Not money, etc., but it, it is there, but it needs to be awakened. It needs to be shown. If you always walked this way to the house because that's your knowledge, you don't know the shortcut, which mm. was always there. God, is there any way for you to put it into words? So obviously there's no substitute for the training, but what, what is it? Like they're such practice meditators, but they can't do what you can do. So what is that thing that you're able to pass on in four days? The confidence, opening up your heart, and suddenly you become aware that it is simply there. Uh, within four days, we get into a tribal sense together. Mm. There is no me and you. We are together in nature, battling cold. There, there is no thought. You help each other. You get this natural sense of helping each other, which enables me, like oxytocin, I help you. It's really strong, that oxytocin. And within those groups I do in nature, within one and a half day, they are out of their conditioned state of the mind, holding in tension and they're completely open, relaxed. And then they are able to let go and let the body do what the body is able to do in extreme situations because they are no longer confined in their narrowed consciousness. Everything reacts directly and uh, finds the answer. And with that comes everybody. And, uh, and it all suddenly makes sense that love is the greatest power of the universe and that we lost the tribal sense of helping each other and that makes them able in just four days to go in temperatures like way down in freezing, temp uh, 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 freezing conditions and then having great fun and dance the Harlem Shake in your socks off on the mountaintop after hours in the, those conditions. Those, uh, th that uh, makes the depth suddenly aware to one's consciousness. And that is like, uh, I never felt this, I never, yeah, but that's you. And that you, we are here to promote, to show that everybody has it. And so all the problems in the world, we have a system inside, in willful possible command, if we only exercise and awaken to it, to handle anything that comes to us. Because that's the way we were built. Not hopeless, full of hope. And not 20% of the brain capacity within our command, but 100. And there it is. And with 100, we find freedom. Because we can go anywhere without fear. Because we are in control. You always say release weight. You never say lose weight. Yeah, what do you do when you lose something? Look for it. Yeah, I don't want to look for weight that I've lost. <laughs> I want to release it. I like to use language patterns as well that are going to empower me versus disempower me.
Uh, Self-talk is so critical. And so I'm consistently paying attention to how am I speaking to myself? Am I speaking to myself in a kind, motivating, empathetic, compassionate way? Or am I consistently self-deprecating and putting myself down? I used to think a lot of, like, you know, when I was younger, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not worthy. Um, those thoughts uh, and you know, lots of fear, fear of being embarrassed, fear of failure, fear of being ashamed. And I still have the thoughts every once in a while, especially when I'm setting new goals. Those come up, holy mackerel, they come up so freaking fast. Are you smart enough to achieve that? Are you good enough to achieve that? Even when I got into really diving deep into the brain science and even my new book, I, had, I was petrified to release my book. It took me two years to write it because now I'm entering another whole domain of neuroscience and neuropsychology with world-renowned experts that I've worked with for years. But now here I am putting myself out there with, hey, this is neuroscientifically correct. So I had, I had to make sure that it was. Um, and, but there was a lot of fear um, but I understand what the emotion of fear is. It's a subconscious trigger that causes this feeling that I don't like. And it's a ghost signal for me, not a stop signal for me. That's interesting. What do you mean by that? Well, fear is an emotion. Emotions are all triggered at the subconscious level. They release neurochemicals that causes a feeling. We are consciously aware of feelings that are triggered the subconscious level. The feeling is the end point of the human experience in the physical body. And so when you have something in your brain that, that uh, a neural network says, well, uh, what if this book comes out and you fail? What if it's not good enough? What is scientifically not correct? What if, what if, what if? My brain's going to process that the same way as your brain and everybody else's brain because that's everybody's brain's the same. The mechanism of how the brain works it's Einstein's brain, Hitler's brain, Genghis Khan's brain, Tom Bilyeu's brain, John Astor's brain, all the same functionality. So if you understand the mechanics of what's supposed to happen, then you say, okay, great, when I feel this, then what am I going to do? So I, I like to use a, an analogy of a car. You're driving a car and you're talking to a friend of yours and a light pops up on the dash. You don't take a hammer and hit a light. <laughs> It's a signal. Something's happening in the, in, the, in, the, in the engine, in the trunk, in the, in the tire. Something's happening. Emotions and feelings aren't uh, positive or negative. They're empowering or disempowering to varying degrees if you don't understand them. And so if you think about fear, right? How does a firefighter go into a burning building when there's this enormous adrenaline and, and epinephrine, you know, that could stop most people dead in their tracks. They learn, here's the feeling, it's normal. Do you have the knowledge and the skills and the preparation to deal with this in a safe way? Go. If you don't, now you retreat. So we have this phenomenal brain, right? It's, it's, it's genius abilities. We can't figure out how to re replicate it anywhere with billions of dollars. Uh, but we are getting some of the user's manual now. So when you feel fear, what should you do? I teach the first two inner sizes that I teach every one of our students. Number one is called take six, calm the circuits. So if you have this unpleasant, anxious, fearful emotion, energy in motion, right? And it's unpleasant and the brakes have gone on. If you just take six deep breaths in through your nose, 
out through your mouth like you're breathing through a straw. You will deactivate the stress response center, which means blood is gonna go back to the left prefrontal cortex. The Einstein part of the brain can actually think through this problem, because what happens when the stress response center is activated, blood goes away from that into the fear response, so you have epinephrine, cortisol, adrenaline, to be able to get you out of this situation. It's part of our instinctual brain, part of the reptilian brain. The first part of the brain that was developed was that, then the mammalian brain, the limbic system, then the neocortex, the thinking brain. So when our brain has this signal of, oh my God, you might get hurt, you might lose this, you might get in trouble, you might be embarrassed, ashamed, ridiculed, judged, etc., that part of the brain is going to get activated. So if you take six deep breaths first, calm down, calm the circuits first, then do inner size number two is called AYA, A-I-A. The first day is for awareness. What am I thinking right now? What am I feeling right now? What am I sensing right now? What is my behavior right now? So you thoughts, feelings, sensations, awareness of behavior. What's my intention right now? That's the I. Well, my intention is to move forward. I want to do this. Great. What's one very small action step that you can take? Now, the reason you want to take one small action step is one small action step your brain can handle. If it's one small step towards it, the threat response goes away. But if you focus on the end game right away, you're going to get that rush and that instant trigger of the fear response, stress response. So the first thing you want to do is learn how to manage your mindset and what you focus on. Learn how to manage your emotions because they drive your behavior more than anything else because we move away from pain and we move towards pleasure, but we move away from pain a thousand times faster. (laughs) And pain wires in the brain faster for survival mechanisms. So purely from a neuroscience perspective, just understanding self, Once you understand, okay, this feeling is normal, okay, what should I do? Take six calm the circuits, aya, and now you can start being progressive and make progress towards what you want.